Welcome to Faith Church. Uh, my name is Abby, and we are so excited that you're here to worship with us this morning. Um, I'm going to hit one announcement. We actually only have one announcement. But before I do that, um, we had an awesome time yesterday here at the Back to School Bash. Uh, we had a giant water slide. The kids had so much fun, a cornhole tournament, ice cream contest, and... For the third year in a row, Miss Melody Ray Hill was the winner of the ice cream contest. <laughs> so congratulations to her with her Rocky Road. Is that right? Rocky Road ice cream. So double chocolate Rocky Road. Double chocolate <laughs> Rocky Road. They were all amazing. So um, we had a great time here yesterday. Uh, my only announcement today is about our faith followers. Our Faith Followers is a group for our third through fifth graders that meets um, on every second and fourth Wednesday night. So that is going to kick back off next week, uh, Wednesday, August 23rd, and that's from 6.30 to 7.45. Uh, again, it's just the second and fourth Wednesdays of each month. So we're going to gear uh, back up with that as school gets started this week. Um, so we hope that if you have any third through fifth graders that you'll bring them out to join us for that. We have interactive Bible teaching, uh, worship and prayer time, games, crafts, talk about missions, um, and just fellowship with friends. It's just a good time for them to uh, get to spend time with their peers and uh, grow their relationship with the Lord. So uh, we hope that they'll come out and join us for that. Again, that starts next Wednesday, August 23rd, 6.30, and it's downstairs in the kids' wing um, in the room across from the nursery. So that is actually our only announcement this morning. Um, but we want to spend a little bit of time as our kids go back to school this week. We want to have all of our kids come up, and we want to have a special time of prayer for them. So kids, if you're going back to school this week, we want you to come forward and youth, kids and youth, and teachers, um, school system workers, any if anyone has a role in the school system, whether you're a teacher, an administrator, custodian, anything. Also, if you're a homeschool mom, you need to come forward too because you are a teacher in more than one way. So homeschool moms as well. So if you guys could just stand with me and just uh, reach your hands towards these kids as we pray together. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would just come upon these kids right now in this moment. Just fall upon them now. We pray, pray that you would impart to them gifts of the Holy Spirit that they may never have experienced before, that you would just allow them to receive those and walk into this next school year with those, that they would be able to walk in healing and in your power, that they would have boldness to tell their friends, their teachers about you, about what you've done for them, about how you've saved them, 
how you've healed them, how you've changed their lives. God, give them strength to be different. To be different and just shine your light in this dark world that they're going into. God, I pray for your protection over them. I pray that you would just place angels around them, around their schools, around their homes. Just protect them from from the enemy. Protect them from any danger or harm that would try to come towards them. I pray that you would just, um, God, just protect them, Lord. Just keep them safe. Protect them from temptation. God, give them the strength to say no when their peers are pressuring them, when they get that feeling from the Holy Spirit, that that conviction that something is wrong, that you would just help them to be strong. And God, I pray that you would just give them uh, strength to endure as it's easy to go back to school sometimes. It gets hard as the weeks and the months go by. Give them strength to endure, give them strength to just learn and engage and stay focused and motivated. And we pray that this year would just be full of new friendships, new relationships, new learning, new accomplishments, new milestones. Just help them to grow in you, in their knowledge of you, and in their experience with you. God, we ask all of these things in your name. Father, we praise you and we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that we, we get to come here and just speak with you. God, we get to lift up all these students and all these faculty and staff and teachers to you who are here and who are not here, God. Lord, but we praise you because you are worthy. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done this past summer, Lord, how you've taught us new things, how you've deepened our relationship with you and with others, God, how you've brought us together and equipped us. God, I pray that everything you've taught us and showed us this year, Lord, we would now take with us into the school, into work, into the classrooms, on the fields, in the clubs, in all the activities we do, God. God, I speak your name over these people. God, you're doing great and new and wonderful things, some of which we have no clue about right now. We don't know. We've never experienced. God, but you're doing new things. God, keep our hearts and our minds open to you and what you want done and what you want to do. Father, I pray that you allow us to learn well this year, to grasp the knowledge and the things that we need to know in order to succeed. Father, but I pray most importantly we continue to learn in you and learn in your word and your truth. Because, God, we know that we are going to be faced with things that are going to question our belief of you. God, this world is a place that is very dark. Lord, and it's, it wants to question who you are. And we know that we're going to come into contact with a lot of people who don't know you or who believe things that are not what you tell us to believe, your truth, who you are. God, but I pray that we stand firm. The seeds that you've planted this year, God, may they take root. Take root, be unmovable. 
God, let your Holy Spirit just wash over each and every heart here. Each and every student, God, equip us to do great and mighty things. These people up here are the church. We are the church, God. And you're calling us to go forth into every place we go to, in every conversation, in every interaction. God, I just speak the name of Jesus over them. Lord, it's not our strength. I praise God it's not our strength, but it's yours in and through us. God, I speak the name of Jesus over all these teachers in here. God, the leaders, the educators, the ones who are to prepare the way for these people. God, I know that there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that no one else sees that they have to deal with, God, but I speak your name over them. God, that you would guide them. You would protect them. Lord, you would give them comfort in the wildness of what school is and what being a teacher and educator is. God, may their hearts and souls be planted in you. And I pray that every student and staff here and every student and staff member who's listening and watching, God, I pray that they would be a light for you in this dark world. God, we're called to be light. We're called to be the city on the hill, so God, I pray that we are just that. God, that people would see you and us. They wouldn't see just who we are. They wouldn't just hear our words, but they would see you and hear you. God, we may be the only part of you that they ever get to see. So I pray that we proclaim your name boldly. That we don't waver, we don't fear, we don't let the temptations overcome. God, but that we would stand boldly, courageously, and that you would continue to equip and guide us. God, let your will be done in this season to come and what you're doing now, what you've been doing. Lord, you've prepared the way. You've gone before us. So may we walk forth with faith and trust, knowing that you've already been where we're going. We thank you and we praise you for that, Father. We thank you for who you are and your goodness and your love and your grace and your mercy. You are worthy, God. Be on the throne in our hearts today and forevermore. We love you, Father, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. If you're going downstairs, faith kids, you're going to go with Miss Denise and Miss Wanda right there. The rest of you can go find your seat with your parents, and now we're just going to enter into our time of praise through singing. Hallelujah. You know, my prayer this morning, or leading up to today, has been, God, help us to experience heaven, and the unity that we experienced right there, that was, that's like heaven. Man, every voice focused, every prayer focused on one thing. It was absolutely beautiful. I talked last week about Revelation 4, and I want to read that this morning. You'll see it on the screen. Um, I printed it for myself for emphasis uh, purposes. John is speaking, and so the, the letters to the, to the churches has just been spoken, uh, read, given. And it says, Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice I'd heard before, it spoke to me like a trumpet blast. And the voice said, Come up here. And I will show you what must happen after this. 
And John said it instantly. I was in the spirit and I saw a throne. And that's what the Lord has given me this week is a throne in heaven. And there was someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and chameleon. And the glow of the emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. And I don't know that I've ever noticed this before, but there are 24 thrones. I knew there were 24 elders, but somewhere I missed, there are 24 thrones that surrounded him. And 24 elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne, there were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God in front of the throne with a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne, just try to envision everything that I'm reading and that you're reading and that you're hearing and seeing. Try to get a picture of it. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. I'm going to skip over verse 7 because there's a long description of them. And then in verse 8, each of these living beings had six wings and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out and day and night. Take us there, Lord. Take us there, Lord. Day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, holy, holy. Can you just say it with me? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, to the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives how long? Forever and ever. He wants us to get that. And they lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. Oh, Father God, give us a vision like Isaiah. Let us see you high and lifted up today. One of the things that I feel impressed right now is we talk about heaven and earth kind of colliding. Well, let me tell you, heavenly worship is not standing in one place and singing a song. There are voices and there are sounds and there are people falling to their face. And there's going to be time today in this set list where we're going to give you opportunity not just to stand there and stare and wait for the next lyric, but to fall before the Lord on your knees, on your face, to worship him with a loud voice. Whatever the Lord calls you to do, be obedient. Would you believe? We stand for 30 minutes and we get tired. And of course, we'll have glorified bodies, but this will go on forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah, our God reigns. Hallelujah, our God reigns. Oh, hallelujah, our God. How long? Forever, all my days. Hallelujah. That's a new one. Sing it with me.
and heaven is your throne and the earth is your footstool. God, we're listening for decrees from heaven today. Oh, speak to us, Father.
every stronghold will crumble. Hear the chains hit the ground. Oh God of revival, pour it out, pour it out. Pour it out. Pour the pour your spirit presence. Pour more of you. More of you. More of you. More of you. struggles that we're going through, you draw near to us. Thank you that you draw near to us as we, as we praise you. I thank you that you draw near to us as we dig into your word. I thank you that you draw near to us, Lord, because you love us, because you want to be with us. The God, the King of the universe, wants to be here with us, God. So continue to speak to us. Continue to, to show us who you are this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Stay standing really quick. 50 weeks. One chapter, one verse, one Bible study. This, uh, this week we were in Numbers 13. And it's a... It's a this is Caleb trying to rally the people to triumph where God has called them to go. So let's say it together. But Caleb quieted the people. Numbers 1330. Amen. You may have a seat. I love that, because then later, when it's trying to compare people, it's just like, Caleb has something different, is what it says. It says, Caleb has a different spirit in him. Everybody else wanted to crumble, and then Caleb was like, no, let's go fight. Let's go fight. We're in our last week in the book of Mark, examining the God-man in the book of Mark. Next week, we're going to start a series um, that I'm calling Faith Dogmatics, and I just like the word dogmatics, even though nobody knows what it means. Um, but you'll know what it means. It basically, me basically what we're going to do through the series is say, okay, what does faith church believe and teach? So it's going to be review, a whole lot of review for some of you. It's going to be brand new for others of you. So we're going to talk about the supernatural worldview. We're going to talk about the, the theology of the kingdom. We're going to talk about uh, prayer and healing and, and deliverance and all of these different things over the next, uh, I think I have it down for eight weeks right now, but we'll see how that shakes out this week. But that will start next week, but we are finishing this week in the book of Mark. And uh, this morning's message is the grand finale, not just because we're finishing the book, but we're going to talk about uh, Jesus and some of his prophecy in Mark chapter 13. We, uh, I, was, I have a question. Have you ever been somewhere or going somewhere and it wasn't what you thought it was going to be, right? So uh, when I first moved here, uh, everybody was like, 
You gotta go to the beach. You should check out Myrtle at least once because Myrtle's like just its own thing. It's its own entity. And I, was, and I just thought in my head, I was like, I, I've been to beach cities. I grew up 15 minutes from the beach. Like, or I, I lived the past 15 years, 15 minutes from the beach. Uh, I've been to California beaches from San Diego to Northern California. Beautiful ones, that, that ne- like Oceanside. Nobody's ever heard of Oceanside, but it's this incredible place. I went to Hawaii on my honeymoon. I've been to, uh, to Baja, Mexico. We went to Cabo San Lucas before. Like, I've been around beach cities. And everybody was saying, well, but you got to go to Myrtle. I was like, I don't really want to go. So we went to Myrtle. For the first time. Now, the first time we went to Myrtle, it was in October. And so it was, it was nice. The, it was, the weather was pleasant. The water's warm, warmer than we're used to. But like I kind of, uh, you know, it was like, okay, this isn't that different. I mean, there's 3,000 mini golf courses, but it's okay. It's just a little different. But man, when I went for the first time in summer, I was still expecting what I experienced in October and other beach cities, and it was not what I expected. It was like, it feel, felt like grimy a little bit, and, and well, I've been back since, but it was not what I expected when I thought of beach town, right? Because I thought I had my own, I thought I understood it, I thought I knew it, but I got there and I was like, whoa, this is, this is, uh, this is weird, okay? And then one time we accidentally went during bike week, so that was, yeah, yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about heaven this morning, and I know it's, it's a big jump from Myrtle to heaven, but we'll get there, okay? So, um, but we're going to see what Jesus says in Mark chapter 13, and we're going to present heaven that maybe it's not what you expect, that the way that the Bible presents it maybe not, may not be what's rolling around in your head when you think of heaven. In Mark chapter 13, uh, Jesus is promising, they've asked him at the beginning of 13. Um, he says, yo, these, the, the temple's gonna be, he didn't say yo, but he says the temple's gonna be destroyed, the, the stones are gonna be thrown down, and they say, when is this gonna happen, and when's the end of the age? And so he tells them when the temple's gonna be destroyed in 70 AD, and then he talks about the end of the age in verses 32 to 37. And here's what he says. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves his home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is the word of the Lord. Here's what Jesus is telling us here. That there will be an end to this world and this creation as we know it. Right? And there will be a time where he comes back. And he's not coming back to whisk us away for seven years. He's coming back to end everything. That's when he comes back. There will be a day where Jesus comes for the final time in human history. And he says here, live like you know that is coming. He says, stay awake. 
He says, look, I, 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 like if a man goes on a journey, he tells his doorkeeper to be awake because when he comes back, that doorkeeper better open the door, better invite him in, better have his bed ready for him to sleep in. Like we have to live knowing that's going to happen. Right, so that adds emphasis to every interaction we have, every conversation we have, every, uh, every time we uh, are parenting, every time we're at work, we're supposed to be living like we know Jesus is coming back. The comedian John Christ has a bit where he says, What's, where's, like he's speaking Christian, so he's assuming they're not gonna be someplace where they're not supposed to be. But where's the, where's the worst place that you can be when Jesus comes back? And he said his was like, if you're waiting, like if you've gone to a fast food restaurant and you order a bunch of food and they're like, go wait over there and you're just waiting for your McDonald's and Jesus comes back and you're like, oh, this is an awkward place to be, right? Where he, we have to live knowing that he's gonna come back. And at the time, at that time, Jesus presides over a white throne judgment of the living and the dead. So everybody, the living and the dead, come up and they all stand before Jesus and he judges every person. Those who are found in Christ will go to eternal life and while hell awaits those who are not found in Jesus. For those of us who are united in Christ through our faith in him, the forgiveness of our sins that, makes us, that gives us his righteousness, we go into eternal life. And those who are not, Go to hell. And so, so this, is, this is the end that is presented in the Bible. And Jesus talks about it here. He says, look, I'm coming back, so stay awake. Stay awake. Stay awake. And so we'll talk a little bit more about this, but what I want to talk about really quick is what happens right now when you die, because that's in the future, right? That's something that's happening who knows when, right? A lot of people think they know when, but nobody really does because Jesus says nobody knows when, right? So when that happens, but, but there's something different that happens now when we die. And, and here's what the Bible kind of, and, and this, is, this is a little hard because I'm gonna be pulling from all different parts of the Bible and I'm not gonna go in depth because we can go really in depth, but I'm not going to, um, but I want to show that the final coming of Jesus is different than what happens when we die right now. And then what does the final coming look like? So in the Old Testament, in Second Temple Judaism, Second Temple Judaism is just the place from when the Second Temple was built uh, around 200 AD to when the Second Temple was destroyed in 70 AD. And a lot of stuff was written around then, not biblical. It was not the God-breathed word of God, but it's, it's informative. And so in the Old Testament and Second Temple Judaism, the concept of the afterlife seemed to be that the dead went to rest in Sheol, which is translated the grave, but not a physical grave, uh, the realm of the undead. And what we seem to be able to see from Scripture is that in the realm of the dead, right, in this place of Sheol, there is a good side, which is called Abraham's bosom, and there's a bad side, right? And so all of those who are righteous in Yahweh at that point, but all who have put their faith in Yahweh go to Abraham's bosom and the rest go to this other place. And don't think of it as hell because it's not hell the way you conceive it. It's just a place of waiting. And then what happens is that Jesus, in 
before he's ascended, I, I put it a little bit wrong in my notes and didn't have time to edit it. But when he goes down into the depths after he is uh, crucified, he goes down and then it says that he ascends. And as he ascends, he leads a host of captives, people who are captive to death. This is in Ephesians chapter 4. And he takes them out of Sheol to be with him now where he goes in heaven at the right hand of the Father. Right? We've covered that over the last couple of weeks. He ascends, but when he goes, he, he takes an army full of captives with him up there. And so then what happens when we die changes. Right? Now, heaven the way we conceive it is the place where Christians go when their body dies. So now, Paul says to be uh, uh, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So there's no resting place of Sheol. There's no bad place of uh, where we go. There's no Abraham's. We just go and we're with the Lord for right now. And we don't really know what it looks like. Right? Uh, but we're there and we're with him. Uh, the book of Revelation gives pictures of things that John is seeing of what's happening right now with the saints around their throne. And there's some that are sitting around the throne and they're saying, God, how long? How long are you going to wait? Like, isn't everything ready? Uh Oh, isn't it time yet? How long? And the father's just up there, be patient, children. Be patient. No, tell me. Right? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? No, turn this heaven around. The unbelieving dead are waiting in Hades until the final judgment. They're waiting. Whether that's a place of flames right now or whether the flames come later, scholars argue over it all the time, but they're waiting in punishment now until the final judgment. So that's what happens. And then when Christ comes, the dead come, the living come, He judges them all. And those found not in the Lamb's book of life were sent to the lake of fire. And those who are found in the Lamb's book of life enter into the joy of the Lord. This is is the reality of the Bible. But what I want to answer, and what the question I want to answer this morning is, is heaven our final destination? Is that where we stay? Do we just go live up in the clouds and as disembodied people playing some harps, singing some songs, what is the final, final destination of man? Right, here's the blueprint that God gives us throughout the Bible. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go from Genesis, I'm gonna go to the end, all right? So we're gonna go through all of it this morning. God created humanity with the intention that he would be in close relationship with us on the earth that he created for us. That was God's intention. So he he creates this earth. He creates this planet. He brings brings it to life by the, the word, the spoken word of Jesus. He brings it to life, and then he creates us so that we could live here, but that we would not live here alone, but that we would live with him. And God's blueprint for humanity, uh, for humanity's relationship with him, it hasn't changed over time. His desire now is still to be with us here on this earth. That's what he wants. The biblical paradigm, so the biblical way of thinking of God's relationship with us is one in which God is always coming down to meet with us. 
God comes down to meet with us. Because he, he lives in the highest heavens, Isaiah 57 says. He dwells in eternity in the highest heavens, and yet he's with us as well because he condescends and comes down to us. This is the blueprint throughout the Bible, and it starts in the Garden of Eden. God creates our earth with the intention to fill it with a unique creation. We are a unique creation because we are the only ones who image God. So we are a unique creation that images him and to be in close relationship with him. I talked about words that changed meaning a lot last week. And one word that has changed meaning is the word haunting. Haunting now means ghosts and poltergeist and, and, and weird things happening, like the house is haunted. But haunting means it, that it used to make you long, like you used to long for something, but kind of in, a, like in that way that you get chills. Like a melody can be haunting, right? A song can be haunting. This verse to me is haunting in that way every time I read it. And it's not the type of verse that you're gonna get on a shirt or put on a coffee mug. Nobody has Genesis 3, 8a, the first half of it, on a coffee mug. But every time I read it, it stirs in me a longing for something. Because Adam and Eve, they've sinned. Let's disregard that fact really quick, okay? All right. But they're hiding. And they heard the sound of God walking in a garden in the cool of the day. I imagine like a crisp fall morning and everything's green and lush and there's dew on the leaves. And God would just come and walk and talk with them. He'd hang out with them. How was your day? What, what did you learn about? What, what, what did you do to, to bring dominion over the creation that I've given you? He walked in the garden with them. It's haunting to me. And we have to understand, Eden was not a place in heaven, but it was a place where God came down to be with the creation that he loved. And sin ended up interrupting that divine companionship. But the intention was that Eden is this place of overlap where heaven and earth met. And he would walk in the garden in the cool of the day. And sin fractures that. Sin continues to happen through various rebellions in the New Testament. And then God calls Abraham, or Abram at the time, now Abraham, and he says, I'm going to make of you a great nation, but you have to leave where you are and go to the place where I'm going to tell you, and that's the place where I'm going to live. Again, I'm going to come down, and Abraham goes, and he's faithful, and Isaac and Jacob all the way down through Joseph, and then they end up slaves in Egypt. And, and what happens is that God chooses Moses to lead the Israelite people out of Egypt into the land that he promised Abraham centuries beforehand. And then he tells them to call, and then he told, then he, they are told how to build a tent called the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was, was made out of, uh, out of uh, I think of, of a big canvas top and there's poles and there's specific uh, 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 show pieces and there's specific doors and they're supposed to put it in a certain area. And every time they were to move, they had to pack it all up 
and they had to go, and when they, God told them to stop, they would stop, and then they would set it all up again, and specific tribes had to set it up, and specific tribes guarded the door, and specific tribes did this part of it. It was, it was this well-oiled machine of the tabernacle, and, and God told them that he wanted to build the tabernacle for them because he says, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. He's saying, I want to live with them again. I want to live with you guys again. Eden messed it up. The flood messed it up. Egypt messed it up, but I want to be with you guys now. And this is where I'm going to live. I'm going to live in this tabernacle. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. And he he emphasizes it again, that I might dwell among them. I want to dwell among you so that you know that I'm here because I want to dwell among you. I am the Lord, their God. See, God's desires haven't changed over time. He wants to live among his people here on the earth that he created for us. And so the tabernacle, it just goes everywhere. It goes everywhere. And then the king named Saul comes and he puts it in Nob. And it's in Nob for a while until he massacres the priests and moving and David becomes king, and David says, the tabernacle isn't good enough for you, Lord. I want to build you a temple. I want to build you something permanent. I want you to live in one place among us. That's what I want from you. That's what I want for you. And God tells David, you can't. You've seen too many wars. There's too much blood on your hands. But he says, but I'll let your son build it. And when you read about the building of the temple, you probably skim over it a little bit. I know I do sometimes because it's like, it's saying, hey, put these jewels here and make the wall this many cubits and this other wall this many cubits. And the priest has to wear this special and you have to do all of these intricate, very intricate, detailed things. But he's doing this and God commissioned Solomon to build him the perfect house for himself. If I was building my own house, I'd like to pick out the color of the counters. I'd like, to, I'd like to say what color the walls are. That's what God's doing in just incredible detail. Build it exactly like this. And something changes from the tabernacle to the temple. The tabernacle is largely for the people of Israel. And it's just for them. But then when, he builds the, 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 when Solomon builds the temple, all of a sudden God says, Now, all the nations are going to be drawn here. It's for Gentiles as well. It's different. They don't go in the same places. All that. But he said, but all the the Gentile nations will flood here. And here's what happens when they're dedicating the temple. They're singing. And it says, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And then it says, the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. Right? The cloud that used to lead them in the desert. It's filled with a cloud so the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. God comes down to be with his people. Yet again, his desires do not change. And his presence is so thick in the place that people, that the priests are just falling over. They cannot stand. Because the presence is there. 
And yet Israel sins and Israel turns their back on God and they stop offering worthy sacrifices. They, they, they are warned repeatedly, come back or you'll be destroyed. Come back or you'll be destroyed. Come back or you'll be destroyed. And they come back for a little bit, but they keep turning their back. And in Ezekiel, I think it's chapter 9 or 10, I don't remember off the top of my head, but the, we get a picture of the presence of God now leaving the temple where he was supposed to stay. It's like, I'm not going to be here anymore with what you guys are, are bringing to me. It's like one of the, that's like the darkest moment of Israel's history. And there are some dark moments. But God says, I'm out of here. And he leaves. And if that had been the end of the story, then we would have no hope. But then God wants to make everything new again. And so he sends his son, Jesus. In a decisive moment of human history, Jesus comes down again to be with humanity. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory as the glory of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. And that word dwelt is literally the word tabernacled. Like it's the same word. And so when Jesus, or when they're talking about Jesus, he's saying he's coming here to tabernacle. You remember that tabernacle centuries ago? It's the same thing with Jesus because the present, he is the very presence of God. Jesus, God in the flesh, comes down to us again to walk with his creation. His desire doesn't change. He wants to be here on earth with us. And while Jesus is here, he says things like, I'm gonna leave, but I'm gonna send you a helper. Well, I'm gonna leave, but there's something coming for you. And you know of him, but he will be in you. You've seen the way he works, but he'll be inside of you. And he sends us the Holy Spirit. The tabernacle and the temple were mere foreshadowings of God's intended temple, you and me. Think about this for a second. The presence of God comes in and floods the temple to where with the cloud where everybody's falling. That same presence, that same cloud, that God lives in you. This is not a small thing. This is, this is mind-blowing. Everything that you've seen and heard up until that point, Paul's saying, is now in you. Don't you know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. That's how serious he takes it. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Don't miss this, because this is, this is beautiful. Jesus tabernacled among us, but it was only temporary. Right? We are now the temples, which is meant to be permanent. Jesus was a picture of the tabernacle, which is temporary, but we are a picture of the temple, which is permanent. Understand that. Try to get your head around that, that Jesus came temporarily in human flesh temporarily on earth so that we could be made permanent with him. This is what the Spirit seals us for. Here's what a man named Matthew Bates writes in Salvation by Allegiance Alone. He says, after Adam and Eve's disobedience, God took the initiative in seeking them out, bringing his presence near to them. God also initiated fellowship with Abraham, with Moses, and with Israel through the tabernacle. And the gent uh, with Israel and 
the Gentile nations through the temple and with all humanity through the incarnation. This is what he does time and time again. I want to be with you, and so I'm going to make a way. I want to be with you, and so I'm going to make a way. I'm going to be with you, so I'm going to make a way. And right now, as we have the Holy Spirit, we are waiting for the return. Jesus will return for his bride. This is all the way back what it says in Mark chapter 13, that Jesus is going to return. And while on earth, Jesus did not know the day or the hour of his return. Only the Father knows. I wonder if he knows now. That's like one of those questions that we can't answer. While he was here, he didn't know. Does he know now? The Father says, son, and I'm not predicting anything. It's going to be March 13th, 2056. And Jesus is like, oh, man, I knew it. I knew it. (laughs) Then when he returns, he'll sit on a great white throne. And he'll judge the living and the dead. And then, and then, maybe something that you haven't really paid attention to before, but we don't stay up in some place outside of the earth, in the clouds. Like, like my first exposure to what heaven might be like was with Sylvester and Tweety. Right, where they die and they float up into heaven and he sits on a cloud and he plays his harp. Like this is, this is it, right? Or they would die and they're just staying forever. Or maybe you think, oh man, I get tired of singing after 30 minutes. I can't do it for 10,000 years. Well, you'll be able to if you want to. But this is not some disembodied state somewhere Somewhere else, somewhere in the heavens, somewhere in space, somewhere in the clouds, because heaven comes down. The final goal of salvation is not that we are whisked away to a place of cloud and harps, but the final goal of salvation is that God comes to earth and completely restores all of creation. And then we will live with him forever on the recreated earth. This, this is the final. I, I don't know what that exactly looks like. Right? How it's going to work itself out functionally and practically. But we live here on earth when heaven comes down. Here's what it says in Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. So heaven as it is right now, it's gonna, it's gonna pass away. Like think about that. The, the heaven that there is now is gonna pass away and the new heaven and the new earth come down and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It's come down out of, it's like God is saying, here you go. Here you go. Here's here's your reward. And then it gives bridal imagery, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people. 
and God himself will be as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. And neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. It echoes the language of Exodus. Build me the tabernacle because I want to dwell among my people so that they'll know that I'm their God and that I dwell among them. Build me this place. And now he's, he's bringing this, this, eternal, this eternal city, this eternal earth, right, recreated for us. And he says the exact same thing. The dwelling place of God is with man. Not the dwelling place of man is with God. The dwelling place of God is now with man. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God will be their God. He comes here to be with us. It says that the sea is no more. This doesn't mean that there's not going to be any oceans. Sea in the Old Testament is symbolic for chaos and terror and death. And since Revelation quotes the Old Testament more than any other book, we can assume that it means the same thing. All the chaos and all the evil that the sea has held, because in the in the Old Testament, the 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 sea holds things like Leviathan. It holds these, these entities, right? Demonic entities. It represents chaos and the, the spirit of, the, of, of God hovers over the depths of the waters. And he brings order out of that chaos, but there's still sea. And so God says, all the chaos all the evil that the sea has held has been completely erased. Not only has it been, it is no more. It's not just been overcome, it's obliterated. It's done. So all the chaos that you feel, all the evil that we have to deal with on occasion, right, it'll all be gone. And we, I can't, I don't think that we can comprehend that because we get so steeped into our circumstance. We get so steeped into what, what we're in right now that we can't even fathom a time where we don't have to deal with our own crap. But all of it's gonna be gone. And it's a city that comes down. It's a city, right? God started with a garden, but the gardens become a city. He's finished. That, that was the command to Adam and Eve. Take, take all of it. Subdue it. Uh, make it. Make it good. Make it livable. Make it has, hospitable to people. And now that garden, God is finishing that action. He is finishing his own command to Adam and Eve. And he gives us a city. And he says, live here. Here's where I'm going to be. Here's where you're going to be. There's not going to be any sea here. And not only is there not going to be any of that, Everything bad in the world is gone. He wipes away every tear. Every tear. The things that make you weep now, out of sorrow, out of pain, out of hurt, they will not exist in the new creation. He wipes every tear. And death is no more. 
And there's going to be nothing to mourn over. There's going to be nothing to cry over. There's not going to be any pain anymore. It's all gone. It's all done. He says, because the former things have passed away. Everything we know about what we are as humanity passes away. And we are, and what 1 Corinthians 15 says is that then the mortal, this body, this, the mortal puts on immortality. We are recreated. We don't have indigestion. We don't sprain our ankles. We don't smash our toes in doors anymore. We don't do any of that because pain's gone. Maybe we smash our toe in a door and we're just like, oh, no big deal. And we just keep walking. Pain's no more. It's all gone. So why does it matter? Why does this matter? Living in the kingdom of God right now means that we are actively taking part in the restoration of all creation. The city of Jerusalem is, the, is God is finalizing the work that we're doing right now. That's what's happening. Like the, the goal of walking in the kingdom is to begin to restore all things back to God through the author of forgiveness, through healing, through deliverance, through power, through all of the gifts of the Spirit, through these things, we are recreating, we are restoring creation piece by piece right now. There's a couple in our neighborhood. Their names are Pete and Judy. They're old. And I don't say that derisively. They're really old. They're like 80, right? (laughs) Sorry. Sorry for anybody who's 80 in here. Love you, Edward, right? But they would always call me whenever they had technical issues. We, our internet's not working. Can, they, te- they text Lauren, actually. They call Lauren. Can Charles come over? Uh, our printer's not working. I can't get Amazon to load right. Like, and so I'd go over. And so I developed a, a, a little relationship with them. And, uh, and then we found out, I don't know, six months ago or so that, that Pete got cancer. You're that age and you get cancer. Because all, all of a sudden, I thought something might be wrong because he, he, he walked his dog every day. We never saw him walking his dog anymore. And so we heard about this. And it kind of goes through our neighborhood. We have a, a nice neighborhood uh, community with, with a lot of people in there. There's a couple families that actually go to church here. And so every, people hear that, that Pete has cancer. And he's not doing well. The doctor says, you can't travel. You can't go anywhere. You have to stop walking your dog. You have to stop all of that. And so Mike Fries, who lives in our neighborhood, he goes over and prays for Pete. And then Michael Bovey, who lives in our neighborhood, he's walking one day and he sees Pete. And he goes to pray with Pete. Except Pete's kind of, you know, he's older, so is my memory. He thinks it's me praying with him. He told Mike that Charles prayed with me. He's like, no, I think that was Michael Bovey. And he's like, no, it was Charles. No, it was Michael. <laughs> and then Lauren and I went over and prayed for Pete. Pete now walks his dog every day. The doctor has lifted his travel restrictions. They say he can travel. And so he, he and Judy are going to go to the Grand Canyon. His doctor 
while he's not in full remission, while it's not fully gone, his doctor asks him, what did you do so that I can tell my other patients to do it as well? And they just said, we got prayed for. That's an act right now of restoring creation. Like, look, look, Pete's 80. He, he's going to pass away at some point. But for right now, he's restored. And when he does pass away, he'll experience everything that we're talking about right now. The, the mortal will put on immortality. There will be no more cancer. He'll be able to walk his dog wherever he wants, whenever he wants. When you present the gospel of King Jesus, when we pray for healing, when we give words of encouragement, when you feed a widow or an orphan, when you help somebody who, who might, you might feel or uh, who society would call lesser than you, when you serve others, you are actively taking part in the restoration of all creation that God is going to finish for us. Take part in that restoration. And evangelism becomes important. I don't even like the word evangelism because it has this connotation now in our mind, like how now I try to talk, talk about prayer as conversation with God. I just want to call evangelism like telling the story of King Jesus because that's so much better than, hey, here's a tract. I did my part. I'm holding up a sign. I'm evangelizing. Here's why it matters because later on in 21, it says, but nothing yet clean will ever enter it. What? The gates of the city and nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. We need to be filling that book with names. We need to be making sure that there's names in that book. And because all things will be restored, and because everything will be made new, you will be okay. Like what you're going through right now, it may be big and it may be bigger than I know and I don't mean to minimize it with any of the words that I speak. But you'll be okay. It's all gonna be made new. You're gonna be made new. You'll be okay. The struggle, the fight. Yes, look, there's there's healing available now. There's inner healing. There's... There's, there's this freedom that's available now, and we pray for that. We pursue that stuff, right? We do. And even as successful as we are in, that, in those things, when Jesus moves, right, we still feel struggle. We still struggle. Even if we're healed, even if we've been delivered of things, we still struggle. We still have those bouts of doubt still have those feelings of unforgiveness. We still battle with sin and it weighs down on us sometimes, but don't worry, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. When you were in art class as a child, did you ever have to get a glue stick or like a, 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 a thing of Elmer's glue and they give you a white piece of paper and you have to draw on it with the glue? I was horrible. Do you guys know that? Could draw like a flower, draw a dog. And the glue's sitting on there, and you just dump a whole bunch of glitter on it. 
And I was going to do that this morning to show, but I did, we didn't want glitter in here for eight years, right? <laughs> and, and you get the, the piece of construction paper and you shake it. And all the glitter comes off. And your teacher says, don't blow on it because glitter will go everywhere. And she turns her back and you go, And what's left? Only what's in the glue. Only in that thing that's unshakable. This is the unshakable kingdom. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order the things that cannot be shaken shall remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. If I may do a, a parable from my glitter analogy. We are glitter placed on glue. And we can be shaken and we can be shaken. But at the end, because we are part of the kingdom of the glue, we will remain. Because we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And the devil will try his worst, and he will do his worst, but he cannot shake us off that glue. We have received and are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. He says, look, it, the way that God is doing it is that so things that cannot be shaken remain. Everything else that can be shaken will be gone. But because we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken, we will live in that kingdom forever. And he says, let us offer to God acceptable worship. He says, think about that. And worship him. With reverence. And all because it's so much bigger than us. The plan is so much more grand than us. Because God is a consuming fire. He baptizes with water, with spirit, and with fire. First, I want you to live like he's coming back. Second, it's okay to long for new creation. Don't go overboard with it. Well, everything's going to be made new, so I don't have to mow my lawn, right? <laughs> we, we, we're actively restoring things right now, but we can still long for it, right? It, that, that's what, I think that's what haunts me in the Genesis chapter 3 verse. I just long for that. I long to be sitting in, a, in the garden in the cool of the day and have God walk by. Like we can long for this new creation, as the band comes up, we want to offer to God acceptable worship full of reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. If you'll stand with me.
Lord, your desire has always been to come down from heaven to meet us where we were and be among us. And I thank you that through the Holy Spirit, you have already done that. You are dwelling here in each person who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. I thank you for that. Lord, I also know that you can fill. So I ask that you would fill this place, fill these individuals in. Put in us a longing, Father. Stir in us the holy angst of saying, this world, is there something wrong here? It's not right. And so God, while I'm here, I'm going to do everything that you tell me to do to make, start making it right. While longing for the day when you wipe away every tear, death is no more. There's no mourning or crying. There's no pain, no sorrow. God, meet with me right now. Meet with us right now. And thank you for giving us a kingdom that cannot be shaken. In Jesus' name. start with verse 2 of what a beautiful name.
Lord, you are worthy.
came a text while we were winding the service down, and I said, I may be here singing till 2 o'clock, so we're going to keep singing. We're gonna, I'm going to go to Even So Calm Band. You can rejoice with us, and you can call down heaven with us, or you're dismissed to go.